Hello friends, this is David White, the Editor-in-Chief of Tales to Inspire, and I hope that you are all so excited to get started with Tales to Inspire. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to the issue zeros and getting introduced to our cast of characters and the players behind them so far. Uh, and our first issue is coming out uh, this following Monday, May the 2nd. Had to look at a calendar real quick. Um, but before we get to that... I wanted to present to you a very special episode of Tales to Inspire. We had the amazing opportunity to sit down with James D'Amato from One Shot Podcast, from Campaign Podcast, from the One Shot Podcast Network, and uh, world build with him. Uh, and we used one of the exercises out of the Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide, which James himself wrote. There are tons of great ideas in here. You're going to listen to us uh, role play, or I guess not role play, but walk through one of these exercises with James. Um, but I just wanted to preface what you were about to get into. I'll let James kind of explain what the Ultimate RPG Game Master World Building guide is and uh what exercise we're going to be doing but i hope that you're excited to listen to this little uh behind the screen peek at uh what might be coming up in season one of tales to inspire and if you're interested in buying the ultimate rpg game masters world building guide which you should definitely do if you are running any sort of storytelling game or if you're just telling like prose stories i think there are great world building tools in here if you're trying to write a fantasy novel or something like that uh but definitely check out the link below to find out where you can find the ultimate rpg game masters world building guide for yourself uh it's a great great tool for storytellers everywhere. But anyways, I've gone on too long. Let's go ahead and get to the episode. Everybody, we are coming to you today with a very special episode of Tales to Inspire. It's, it still seems weird to say Tales to Inspire and not Misconceptions. Uh, I'll eventually get used to it. But we have a very special guest today uh, here to, to help us world build a little bit and brainstorm about this new story that we're going to tell together. Uh, and I just wanted to go around uh, and introduce the people that are here at the table with me, uh, the virtual table with me. Uh, go ahead and tell us uh, your name and your pronouns. Um, and go ahead and tell me, since we're doing you know, this story about an alternate history retelling, uh, I want to know what side of history you are on. Is hot dog a sandwich or is it not? <laughs> 
let's go around and introduce ourselves. Uh, let's go in the same order that we did the uh, the sinking with. So Marlo, Occam, Marlo, Occam, James, and Mitchell. I just didn't know I think if you were going to go first. David was first. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll go first. Hi, I'm David. He, him, uh, and hot dogs are not a sandwich. No, I will not be taking questions at this time. Now, is Carrie going to go, or do I go? Oh, I guess, Carrie, yeah, you're here, I too. don't know. He didn't give me a turn, so I was just <laughs> waiting. going to see what happened. Carrie, please, go ahead. Uh, did you say your last name? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, sorry. No, I don't want people to I know my last name. I've done this before, apparently. Um, my name is Carrie White. My pronouns are she, her. And a uh, hot dog is not a sandwich. I didn't know that was up for debate <laughs> oh okay uh my name is marlo Bogus. i use she her pronouns um and this is a widely debated topic but i don't think things are always other things so i'm gonna go with no <laughs> <laughs> i am occam razor and uh they him and I agree. I don't think you can put everything into little boxes. So no, hot dogs are not a sandwich. Uh, hello, heroes. My name is James D'Amato. My pronouns are he, him. And I, I really don't think a hot dog is a sandwich. Hello, uh, my name is Mitch or Mitchell. Uh, he, they pronouns. Uh, and I'm going to side with the right side, which uh, a hot dog is a sandwich. <gasps> oh, no. it's okay oh. to be wrong and i'm glad you all were but <laughs> i i find often that the, the people with the worst opinions are they have them the loudest i would say they, they, they're <laughs> most offensive because they they know in their hearts they've strayed too far from god's light and oh, i'm man. <laughs> Hey, I feel yeah. it. Just stop being so defensive and loud about it. And you know what? If there's uh, if there's one person I know who has strayed too far from God's light, it might be Mitch Wallace. <laughs> I have not seen the light of day in a long time. <laughs> It's the blackout curtain. Well, that's, that's also because you're a game designer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Valid. Yeah. What is God's light? I don't know. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I already mentioned we have uh, somebody very special here today with us to help us world build and, uh, you know, build a, a story around Tales to Inspire, uh, James D'Amato. And I'm going to hand it over to him uh for him to get this started but before i do that i just wanted to gush for a second uh and say uh how one nervous i am but two very excited i am uh just to be doing a thing with james damato because james uh misconceptions our our little podcast network would not have existed uh without the work that you and cat cool did on campaign uh the very first star wars campaign um well, because wonderful to hear yeah yeah uh i i listened to it. i'm still listening to it i'm way far behind though <laughs> uh, i'm only now to ungoni so i have a lot to catch up with 
Um, just wrapped that one up. So, so you are, you're, but you're not that far behind. Ungoni wasn't a very long arc. So yeah, it's no bike for sure. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, yeah, the listening to that podcast inspired me to make this, uh, misconceptions and to make sense of the father and, uh, to be able to work with you. It is, it is a dream come true. And, uh, I'm I'm super excited and I'm ready I'm ready to brainstorm let's let's do this. Well, lovely, lovely, yeah. And you know, honestly, it is one of the best things about doing this sort of thing is is seeing that people go off and then make their own art. So uh, I'm I'm so happy to hear that. But we've got some work today here, folks. Uh, first up, uh, you if you do not recognize me, that is completely all right. Uh, I am the host of the One Shot and Campaign Skyjacks podcast, uh, but I come here today in my capacity as an author because I also write the Ultimate RPG Guide series for Adams Media. And I have a brand new book out on the shelves right now, The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide. It is a book full of prompts, exercises, and mini games to help make the process of developing settings for role-playing games easy and more fun. Uh, So we're going to go through today one of the exercises in that book to help build out the setting for this very podcast. Um, It's an alternate history setting, so we are starting from a a place of the familiar, something that we all recognize, uh, which I think uh, for some folks, uh, it becomes difficult to add on to settings like that, Uh, not just settings that are based on the real world, but settings that are based on fictional world that are established because you feel like you don't know where it is okay to invent. Um, And one of the reasons that I developed this book is I want people to feel empowered uh, to create their own stuff, whether they are layering it on top of real life events or they're layering it on top of an established fictional universe because you can't have a bounty hunters convention unless you take a leap of faith away from canon. Uh, So what we are... Are doing here is an exercise called Five Factions. Uh, talking about the fact that this was an alternate history take on our own history, where in the 40s to fight the Nazis, the the U.S. put together a team of superheroes. Um, extrapolating based on that, if there are superheroes in our timeline, it already very drastically uh, changes our cultural history. And one of the things that I think might come out of that is we would almost immediately find ourselves with new organizations, uh, maybe even new nation states. Uh, So many new possibilities open up uh, when you make that drastic a change to our timeline. So with five factions, we are going to go through different factions that will exist in this new timeline. Uh, and these are going to be factions that are initially uh, defined by what uh, sort of like uh, strength or value that they are obsessed with. Uh, the first one is uh, the faction that has a love for strength. Um, so 
normally in order to get rolling on this exercise, uh, we would roll 2d6. Uh, it comes down to a question of, uh, we can also decide to choose if we don't think a randomized structure is good for us. Uh, what we would be rolling for on the first d6 would be the basic structure of whatever organization we're gonna have come out of this. Uh, those basic structures that I've identified would be a state uh, that's like a nation state, uh, not unlike the United States. Uh, it could actually be a uh, compartment state of the United States too, uh, uh, one of the states that makes up our body. And we could decide, hey, we've got a new state uh, in this timeline. Uh, there is family. That's pretty straightforward and self-evident. Uh, you know, especially a family like the Rockefellers would probably be uh, something that would be along the lines of developing. There is a clan. Uh, this is developed for the fantasy setting. We don't see as much of this in, in, in our modern history, but it is somewhere in between like a family and, you know, an ordered organization. We'd have a school. We're pretty, I think, solidly forward on what that means. A company. I think we understand what a company would be. Uh, and an order. An order would be something that is defined by a shared value set. Uh, the best comparison for an order that I would say would be an organized religion. Um, but it can even be, you know, something like uh, the Freemasons or, or, or something like that. You know, this is a group that has come together because they have shared values and they are pooling their resources to pursue those values. So uh, with that, I, I will leave it to y'all. Do you want to roll for that or would you like to pick what you would like to develop uh, for an organization that loves strength? more than anything else. I'm cool with rolling for this one. Yeah. I was going to I was going to ask y'all what y'all think. Do we do we want to randomize it? Cheers. Cheers. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah, Woo. sounds good to me. All right, that's that's votes for roll. Democracy has it. Roll a d6 then. <laughs> Two. Two. All right. Two. This is a family, um, which is an interesting result for, for a more modern setting. But like I said, you know, if you think of the Rockefellers and the effect that that family had on the world, uh, it, it's, it's not so wild. Um, so we've got a family. Uh, this family is defined by a love of strength. Uh, it is a celebration or even worship of strength. Uh, strength can be a physical thing, an intellectual thing, an emotional thing, spiritual, even magical, especially because we're in a super heroic world, though I don't know if it is a strictly sci-fi super heroic world. Um, no matter how it manifests though, this culture values power, minimizing vulnerability, and prioritizing achievement. Um, so before we go too much farther on defining what the family is, I, I think we should start by choosing two things that this family loves uh, most about strength. Um, and the list that we have to choose from is that it provides safety, it enables achievement, it represents an ideal form, it provides control, or it provides excitement. 
I mean, I'm thinking like, was it provides control and enables achievement? Yeah, one of those two definitely makes sense. Oh, you can have them both if you like. No, I like that because when I think of when I think of an organization that prides strength above all else, you know, it is usually very insular. It is very kind of selfish. I would even say. Oh yeah, I I, I mean when I I think about this family, I'm looking at like the top ten like dynastic American families, <laughs> being like these are probably them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So if we've got that, we we know that uh, it provides control. So they are, you know, using strength in order to gain control. Uh, uh, that that is, you know, fairly nefarious. Um, and enables achievement. I, I think is interesting. Um, so kind of based on those two, what sort of strength do we think they value? Uh, is it? physical strength and achievement is it intellectual strength and achievement um you know what are they trying to control and really what are they trying to achieve i mean politics i'm I'm looking at this dynastic family again and yeah i'm just like politics controlling people you know the the power real power (laughs) i'm just controlling people all right, all right. Um, so that, like, with that, if 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 it is within the political realm, within like, especially the idea of what they want to control is people. Um, I'm kind of thinking that there there are two sort of ways that we could go with this. We could go with a political dynastic family, kind of like the Kennedys. Um, or, you know, we could go to the flip to the dark side of the Kennedys and go with like a organized crime or, or mafia family. Um, I think either of those uh, would make for interesting stuff to have in a superhero setting. Yeah, I, I like the idea of an organized crime family that. I don't know. That has some sort of um, like superpower lineage. Like either they have an artifact that bestows powers, or they do some sort of uh, ritual or rite to give powers to like the 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 you know the first son or something like that, or even the first daughter. Well, yeah, to, to uh, drill in on that a little bit more before we uh, nail it down with some specifics, uh, the first question that we have to kind of define this family would be, how do people from this faction test and prove their strength? If there is some kind of artifact or something they are protecting. Actually, you know what? Before we answer that question, let's roll another d6 because... Uh, each of these organizations, each of these factions that we're coming up with have a treasure that is kind of central to who and what they are. So if we give another roll to a D6, we'll find out what the treasure for this family might be. Anyone else want to take that? Or roll I see again. Occam digging. Occam, do you want to do it? O- Occam is moving Dig. quickly. <laughs> there yeah. we go. We've got it. Let's Let's go for a four. A four. Okay, so they are actually protecting a rarity. Uh, this is something scarce or otherwise difficult to attain. It is a treasure, most like typical treasure. 
Um, the thing that immediately jumps to mind kind of based off that is oil, um, petroleum. I could definitely see this being a family that, you know, just has access to what has become the most important energy resource in the world. Um, that could be too mundane. Um, so the other thing off of that, like there could be maybe, maybe a bit of a Midas touch situation. Like perhaps they have the ability somehow within this family to create wealth. Um, uh, and it is like through supernatural or, or you know, superhuman means. Um, like, what, what, what do you find most interesting and compelling for, for your setting based on the fact that they're protecting a rarity? I don't know. I almost thought of, I was just thinking of like Avengers. And so I thought of something like the stones, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, some kind of... Like they have a stone right. that allows them to to do the things they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea of of some sort of like cosmic resource that that has been in the family for a long time. Um, you know, there there are plenty of cool stories to draw on from there. I, I think uh, the best question here, like these, are people who love power and love to control people or, or, or seek to control people like that is kind of the achievement that they that that we've defined that they want um so it kind of feels like ah, i'm trying to remember when the people's revolution in russia was and if it lines up with your timeline because we could have the uh the old uh czars like who did actually have to leave russia uh in a hurry to protect themselves and basically grabbed whatever family heirlooms they could and despite being nobility and despite like coming from wealth for generations moved across the world, including the United States and Europe, uh, and tried to establish themselves with very little money. If this was a family that had climbed to like the theoretical top of like one of the most powerful countries in the world and then got pushed out, uh, by a communist revolution, then it kind of makes sense that like, yeah, we're, we're here, we're back in the United States or whatever, trying to build ourselves back up. Interesting. Yeah, I think that really works because the Russian Revolution was in 1917. So that would give several, like a couple decades for them to establish themselves in the, in the Americas. So, Okay, this is very cool. This is very cool. Then I, I need to know what is this thing that they have like what what does it do it it does feel somewhat mystical it feels like you know this might be some sort of you know like like we're talking like like the infinity stones i think the infinity stones for my tastes especially if i were to game master something they're too ill-defined uh in what their capabilities are to to really be reined in Yeah. Ooh, one of my uh, favorite powers uh, I've ever read about was the ability to create a uh, alternate timeline and to coexist in both timelines for a certain amount of time, so that you can pick 
the best optical uh, the best optimum outcome and then slip into that timeline and so for everyone else everything seems normal but for that person they're able to have events um turn out the way that they want because they've lived it multiple times what about if something like that attached with rasputin see that's an interesting thought i was thinking demon and involvement um which also could tie into a rasputin-esque mm-hmm storyline yeah i i think we could kind of put these ideas together somehow like we know that rasputin uh went through uh some pretty like wild uh violence but before he died and you know it is always more fun to imagine that that wild violence was absolutely necessary in order to take him down if this artifact or what have you this thing that allows people to hop between timelines and dimensions what if it was like slowly gaining some sapience or power um, and it reached the point where the royal family no longer controlled it uh, so they you know first of all lost control of the country uh, the revolution took their power away from them and they had to pour all of these resources to prevent this demonic entity from taking over the world now you've got the remnants of that family that managed to somehow secret themselves out of the country uh they still have this artifact but now there is the danger that the artifact has them heck yeah i like that like well, that. then, then we can really return cool. to this question finally, which is how do people from this faction test and prove their strength? Um, part of me thinks based on this question that it might be you can't really use this artifact now unless like you, you, you see yourself as fit to use it because it could it could start taking over you. I'm thinking a test of will and mental fortitude to overpower the entity within the artifact. So you test that against it. And then if you're strong enough to maintain it, then you are now like the head of the family. You are the one in charge. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, uh, So let's ask the second question, uh, and that is, what markers signify achievement or authority within this faction? Is this, are the markers like physical markers like emblems of their station that they would wear uh it could be it could be uh, really uh that is kind of intentionally vague uh so that you know you can make a decision there i mean we're we're talking about the the sars of russia so like would they have a crown or emblem of their old nobility that they then set the relic like a jewel in that could to be, show their station that could be interesting it depends uh, like that could be neat for for your world um 
the question is like, if these folks have, you know, come over, uh, we're assuming, I, I'm assuming because you mentioned that uh, this was Roosevelt's superhero team, that this is taking place within the United States. Um, mm-hmm. If this like family is clearly a factor now within US society or politics, are they in the US walking around wearing a crown? Or yeah, how fair. are they, you know, like signifying you know their importance what what aspects of the culture that you know they were ostensibly kicked out of uh do they carry with them i think like a signet ring or something that's what i was thinking too i also like the i'm sorry there's a small detail i was thinking about something about like having to get a jeweler to set it because you there's something about the ritual that you have to do with it being separated. But when it comes back together, you have to get a jeweler to set it. But like you're asking a jeweler to do something with it, like occult object. So what happens to the jeweler? Is the jeweler scarred? Do they have visions? Like, is it like a, you know, mm. like a oh, Lovecraftian so cool. madness type that's thing? That's really interesting. Oh, yeah, That's really cool. What, yeah. What, what if it is this big central gem or whatever? And in order to be like a decision making part of the family, no one like I think from now on, no one can hold the central gem on their own because they know that that power is is too much for one person. But if they split off a piece and uh, if you manage to like hold it within a signet ring, all of a sudden like it's split between you. And then we have like almost a weird sort of metaphor too. Because now this formerly royal family yeah. has to shoulder power together in order to not be overwhelmed by the supernatural force. And we can start, uh, you know, killing jewelers because that. they have to go to a jeweler who dies in the process of setting this uh, <laughs> thing in the ring, which is very cool. Yeah, that's apologies cool. to jewelers. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> jewelers. Okay, so like you go through this will test to mm-hmm. approach the gym, break off a fragment and then have it set. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Like they, they don't even have the full gym with them. Mm-hmm. They have to take only a piece. Yeah. Of it. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think if you die, the gem will reclaim your fragment. Um, like mm. it, it has to be your living will, your life force that is forcing this piece off of the central gem. Uh, yes. Uh, well, that's Hell extremely yeah. cool. Uh, <laughs> can't remember. Is it the Romanov family? I don't. I don't know. Believe it's the Romanovs. Yeah. So there we go. We've got the Romanovs. Uh, the Romanovs are in the United States. Uh, this is an alternate history where that firing squad did not take out all of them, uh, and we just have the Romanovs as a going concern within U.S. politics, probably, honestly, uh, you know, stirring up some of that Red Scare energy because True. they can go look at, you know, look at what the communists did yeah. to us. Ooh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. really Ooh. true. That's a very cool connection. All 
All right. All right. So there we have it. Those are our people who love strength. Um, I think they are extraordinarily cool. Uh, I'm really digging that uh, <laughs> alternate history there. Uh, so then uh, oh, that's nice. we the next faction is uh, the people who love knowledge. Um, so for this one, once again, let's roll 2d6. I will remember to include the treasure this time. Marlo I'll, or Carrie, would you like just to just race? Just race for it. Whoever. <laughs> you want to roll one, Carrie, and I'll roll another. So we can roll sure. Two. Y'all are trusting Esther Platt to roll dice right now. Just so you know. <laughs> there are but no, see, there's no There's no low here. number. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. I can't die. She can't, can't die. die. <laughs> just a kid. No stakes. I rolled a six. A six. Okay. I rolled a five. Um, so that is an order uh, protecting a skill, um, which makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, when I was thinking about the context of what an order might mean, especially within uh, a superhero universe, a superhero team or organization uh, does kind of fit an order. Uh, just to uh, reiterate, uh, an order is a culture formed around uh, an organization dedicated to an ideology like a religion. Orders provide structure and resources to collectively pursue a common agenda. Bonds between members of an order can be hierarchical, teacher-student, or colleague-to-colleague, depending on the ethos of that order. And for the love of knowledge, this faction is dedicated to understanding some aspect of their world. This can manifest in a general study of all things or the specialization in a specific field of study like medicine, engineering, or magic. This culture values discovery, uh, records, and retention of knowledge. I am immediately going to like a group of conspiracy theorist type people like that, but they believe what their belief is, is that because they believed in superheroes since before it was like proven. Mm, so they keep records and knowledge about mm. superheroes over time and are constantly connecting like ancient mythos back to those were superheroes. It was superheroes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. I dig that. Okay. Let, let's, let, let's yeah, define what, what they love most about knowledge. I think with that, in mind, this is going to be pretty easy for us. Uh, the options that we have, and we choose two of them, are it preserves the past, it builds the future, it satisfies curiosity, it makes people useful, and it eases suffering. So it's one thing to uh, say, oh, yeah, like this event in history happened because there were superhuman abilities that we as the public didn't know about or, or what have you. But the reason that this organization keeps records, that this organization like does the legwork to uncover the truth of these things is related to like those ideologies are yeah. they trying to preserve the truth of the past are they trying to build a brighter future like what what drives them i think def definitely to ease pain that's Ooh. what i was thinking too that's interesting um what what do we think eases what do we think about like understanding the idea of superhuman abilities eases suffering. 
Yeah, it might be like, um, uh, you know, the the knowledge of it and and kind of the evolution of humanity might point to um, a place where hopefully humanity gets past a lot of its hangups. Um, but also that there are things in this world that could, with this amazing power, do some drastically good things. Um, I mean, in a, okay. in a world where the singular person has no power, the superhero stands in contrast to that. Okay, maybe so, so it, fo- maybe they're following specific types of abilities to try to target mm. for, for a goal towards that in the future. Then that sounds like what we've kind of gravitated to is it builds the future and it eases suffering. So this organization is not just trying to define the truth of, yes, superhuman abilities have existed since long before, you know, we established the superhero team here. Uh, They've existed for a long period of time. And I guess humanity hasn't properly capitalized on these abilities with like dedicated intention we could be solving all sorts of problems for the world um so that is a very cool sort of initial perspective uh the first question is how does this faction keep records of their knowledge and where is it stored the first thing that came to my mind okay two things one a holocron from star wars two (laughs) the crystal uh, things from the Superman movies, the uh, that Jor-El stores all the information for Superman mm. in, but I don't know how an ancient order would have access to any of those things. What about the Gal- the Library of Alexandria? Okay. Keep saying more things like that. <laughs> um, like the order has been around for long enough that they found a way to hide the library from its destruction or save its it save the library from its destruction or or maybe the fire was a cover-up of its destruction yeah in order for them to keep it yeah what what if this order isn't just necessarily uh trying to uncover truth and whatnot and like an important thing to remember is the treasure that they are protecting uh, is a technique so it might be you know the reading or storing things on these crystals, but I I am kind of compelled by the idea that perhaps these crystals themselves were just objects within the library of Alexandria that contained prophecies. And what they are trying to do is study the events of the world and study the information on those crystals to guide us to a bright future. Um, Mm. like let's say there is an apocalyptic future up in those crystals somewhere and there (laughs) is kind of a utopian future in those crystals and this organization is kind of now working in the background because like with Alexandria they had they were out in the open they're actively trying to pursue this and their base of knowledge got destroyed so now they are working in secret but with still the same goals Yeah. I love a good prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Really uh, so the, the next question for that is, does this faction share their knowledge? Who do they, how do they decide who is worthy of sharing this knowledge? 
Well, I would say definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, that's good, though. How do they decide who can join? Yeah. Is it a is it a lineage thing? Is there some sort of magical device that they have that selects it for them? Like, you know, okay, Green Lantern Rings. They seek out the next the person with the biggest willpower See, or that whatever. That's kind of my idea too. This could be our Green Lantern core equivalency. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I kind of like it because it sort of makes your Green Lantern core very street level. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you do have the ability to like look into these crystals and, and store and gain information from those crystals, but that's kind of all you got. So you might have a vague knowledge of the future and like, I, I like the idea. Let's make the crystals kind of hive minded a bit. So like if Ooh, you yeah. are recording your experiences into a crystal, everybody else in the organization also gets that. Um, and yeah, I kind of like the idea that instead of lineage, what if it's just like, well, there's almost no way to, you know, figure out who is going to be able to interact with these crystals. But when you find someone, you darn well have to indoctrinate them because it's not easy <laughs> to find people like that. Yeah, for sure. What, what, if the, what if these crystals work off of a probability type of system? So like, hear me out. So, like, if you come before the crystals and you um, you have a high probability of affecting the future in a way, the crystals will show that in signs and symbology that they have to try to read and decipher, right? Mm. So it's like they have to – because, like, anything that you do has a probability of making a change in this direction or that direction. It's all chance. It's all the way you do this and the butterfly effect and – you know, the multiverse theories and, you know, um, so when you come in front of them, if you are a keeper of knowledge that can do this, these crystals react in a way that has to be like sort of understood. That's where I'm, it's vague, but that's where I'm kind of at. It could be kind of a minority report thing where like the crystal can look into the (laughs) person's future and past and decide based on the probability of them doing certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. like are the crystals are the crystals doing this minority port business to take destructive players off the map and kind of seal them it's, away in the organization? No, I think it's more take positive f- forces I see, for I the see. future and bring them into the organization. Yeah, I think I think. Or the crystals- what if you think it's just the positive, and it ends up being the negative too? Like we think that they're just doing the positive, but it turns out they're actually yeah. just doing the <laughs> negative too. I I like the idea that what it is like whatever these crystals are, there's kind of a central processing unit that is running calculations circumstantially, and if you are somebody who can interact with and interpret these crystals, uh, you know it's almost like you're rolling a die, and the different die faces are based on the probability of outcomes of different events. So you might be confronted with a situation where you know you meet someone uh, who 
it's like, well, there is a chance that this person starts World War III, but there's also a chance that this person is a very important diplomatic force uh, that prevents a war. So you, as like a member of the society, got to go, okay, how do I nudge this person in the right direction? Or is this too much of a risk to have right. running around yeah. out there in the world? Um, and like the more keepers of these crystals that you have, the more the central processing unit of this, you know, entity or, or what have you can understand the world, the more accurate it, it results it can uh, supply. <sighs> yeah. I dig it. Uh, that's super rad. Um, I, I really like it a lot because you've got like... It's a little bit, you know, detectives on the edges of society and whatnot. It's like a little bit witchy um, and it's a little bit Green Lantern core. Uh, there's there's some cool stuff with that. Um, I, I think the only thing that we probably need for this is like a name for this organization. And... If it's related to uh, the Library of Alexandria, they could be like the Keepers of Alexandria or something like that. The Eyes of Alexander, maybe? Ooh. Ooh. That's kind of neat. That will work, yeah. Occam coming in with them jabs. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Okay. Um... So yeah, uh, the that brings us to our, our next faction, which is a faction that has a love of communication. Um, and for that, once again, we're gonna need two d six. I want to roll. I want to roll. I want to roll. Go for it. <laughs> I rolled a one. All right. That is a state. Uh, This culture is formed around a government. City states uh, often provide protection, structure, organization for the citizens living within them. Uh, We can also say that this is a component uh, to a state. So this could be a branch or bureau uh, of an existing government as well. Really, whatever is most convenient for us. Let's uh, get that. What's the result on the next D6? Um. I rolled a two. A two. Uh, this is a place, is the, is the treasure of this organization. This can be a stretch of land, natural formation, or established path created by forces beyond people. Um, so, with a love of communication, uh, this faction is built around the complex art of communication. They can facilitate relations between different houses, develop sophisticated forms of art and expression, or relish in gossip and espionage. Um, before we go too far on this, uh, let's define what the two things they love most about communication, although it does look like we have an idea already. Well, we had talked at length because my character does have telekinetic powers able to talk and move stuff with her mind um 
an organization like that would find her pretty useful, I think. And we'd already talked about how someone slid her case file to FDR and said, include her um, in this thing you're setting up. Um, and we didn't, we had said like CIA, like, you know. Office, well, at that like, time it uh, would be Office of Special Services, I think. Um, the, the, the proto-CIA yeah. probably. Right. But then that kind of brought the whole of like, um, like men who stare at goats type thing where they're trying to do these sort of um, experiments, trying to create this sort of thing happening uh, with, with um, you know, MK Ultra and like, you know, then you start getting into all those things. Right. But like thinking about it from that perspective, if you have someone who has this, if you can harness that power and figure out how they do it and then lock it in other normal humans, you could kind of do something like that. So that was just like why I went, oh, that kind of fits into what we already talked about. <laughs> I, I, th- I think this is this is a good framework to start from. And an organization like this could either be very nefarious or uh, potentially maybe even misguidedly benevolent. Uh, so the options that we have for what they love most about communication, because I think that will tell us very much what their intentions are, uh, would be it creates beauty, it creates peace, it creates power, it reveals truth, or it brings pleasure. Um, so based on that, what do we feel they are interested in? I think in? we're going for power. <laughs> power? We're going after power? <laughs> I like it beauty. It definitely sounds sounds like power for this well, one. I like beauty and, and pleasure. That's me. <laughs> That's kind of cool, though. If we go in with that route, um, it sounds as if they want possibly the ability of instantaneous discrete communication across the globe via uh, uh, telepathy um, or something like that. So, um, yeah, um, Yeah, that's what it sounds like like to me. Yeah. If it is, what what was it? uh, Beauty. And what was the other one? Beauty and pleasure were, were what we were floating. That's what I threw out. I don't know if that's where we're going. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I guess, well, then let's let's hearken. What what do we find more or less interesting? Because I, I feel like there are a lot of ideas right now, and we could we could find threads within each of them to to make a good pair. Ooh, what if it's a like a Oh, what's it called? Like an enclave kind of thing where it's like a group of people in one place. They see the beauty in communication as like they're trying to develop this interconnected society of knowledge. Like they're trying to be able to communicate with each other from any distance um, in order to form like a almost a utopian situation where everyone shares their communication together i don't know that could be something with beauty yeah well that that honestly sounds like truth and peace would be the ethos there that's true too yeah i was thinking um kind of weirdly going along the uh stare at goats thing but uh, a group trying to like create um the, the the most beautiful human 
um, in, in terms of like powers and stuff like that. So they reach out to and try to manipulate um, people into having children with others with similar kind of ideals or physical ah, attributes. So they um, are eugenicists. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like over the generations trying to like have like the perfect human. Uh, uh, and so like So so issues that I, I see with that, um, which I, I think you can decide whether or not you as a podcast want to confront it. We did just defeat the Nazis. Uh, <laughs> and this does sound like their whole thing. Um, and the True. idea that uh, an important component to this is this organization is either a state unto itself or a component of a state. So if it's like within the United States, this is a bureau of our government that has been established to create the Ubermensch, uh, uh, if, if that's the direction that we're going. Um, which... Uh, I mean that makes sense. It, I think it, the- it doesn't sound too far off from uh, uh, the United States at different points in our timeline. Uh, It'd be almost it is- like the super soldier program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so it's, uh, it's like the bad super soldier. <laughs> so yeah, then 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 it sounds like they might be on the it creates power. Um, uh, and into it creates beauty. I mean, honestly, you know, the, the United States did recruit uh, Nazi scientists after uh, World War II. Uh, yeah. This could just be one of the programs uh, that was established with that as like, well, we're going to continue working on this super soldier program. And seeing as how FDR established a superhero team, um, it feels like there's plenty of money in the budget of the United States government to have a bureau that is not just controlling uh, superhuman assets, but trying to create more, uh, which gives some internal strife uh, for, for you and your characters as clearly the people in charge of this organization aren't wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Uh I kind of want to steer away from the eugenics and trying to breed people to make a yeah. perfect human. Uh, but then kind of wrapping back around to Marlo's, uh, like uh, her character's telepathy um, in the Eberron campaign setting, there is a country in the, the world of Eberron that's like this uh, psionics country and like it's very totalitarian and they have like all these towers that like send out morning messages to everybody um and i don't i don't know if like it could be like wakanda but instead of vibranium it's these telepathic powers sure sure what okay what if this what if this state isn't connected to the United States? What if it is Atlantis? Or what if it is some lost uh, civilization? Well, but then again, I don't know how a love of communication would tie into that. Yeah, th- that's, not, that's not necessarily outside the realm of possibility. I, I think the most important thing uh, is really to decide 
thematically, what kind of group are, are you most interested in developing? That That's why we have the, what do they love most about uh, communication options? Because that will help us, that will channel us in the right directions uh, to answer the coming questions. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I'm jumping ahead. I'm putting the, the chicken before the egg or whatever it is. <laughs> the cart before the horse. Thank there you, you Carrie. Um, so, so yeah, let, let's uh, decide again. Do they love that it, uh, communication creates beauty? Communication creates peace? Communication creates power? Communication reveals truth? Or communication brings pleasure? Uh, I like one of them being it creates power. Okay. Yeah, and I just want to work in pleasure because I feel like it's unique. Yeah, Fair. I guess it's that still, is true. It is kind of a unique option. Okay, okay. Uh, then with those, um, what form of communication originated with this faction and has spread to others? Um, here is an interesting thing. If you like the hook of Atlantis um, and you like the idea of this group being developed kind of around psychic powers uh this could tie back to our library of alexandria in these folks uh have access to a mine or whatever where the crystals that are used to power that device uh are kept and this is a crystal that is like a psychic resonance crystal so it is a piece of physical media that thoughts can be written upon and what this group uh uses it for i think most honestly is the transmission of dreams um we can get into some real cool stuff here, uh, talking about the Surrealist movement, which happened, I think, just 20 years prior to your, your place in the timeline. The idea of, of dreamscapes and kind of a shared dreaming is, is sort of linked into that. Uh, the idea that these people are communicating through pure psychic resonance so communicating in ways that isn't just related to words or images uh is kind of interesting and fascinating and it is a wild amount of power for people to have who are ostensibly artists in a certain way um the the, the question then becomes like is this something that uh, is now a form of art within the world where not everybody has inborn psychic powers, but some, but everybody can like interface with a type of psychic resonance stone. So like artists are premiering in galleries, like here's a wild dream that I concocted that you can go experience. That would be pretty cool actually. And the mm -hmm. crystals involved with the Library of Alexandria could have come from Atlantis as well. But yeah. a mixture of that and technology is what allows them to do what they're doing now. Yes!
Um, if you wanted to add in the power piece to that, it could be that someone's gotten someone's gotten the idea that they can use that to implant thoughts mm. through dreams. I definitely think like that is there's absolutely some military like general somewhere has gone. We can use that to control people through their dreams and make the perfect soldier. Because anytime there's any innovation in the world, uh, there's a non-zero chance that there's someone in the U.S. military that asks for exactly that. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's porn in military. So these two things, everything uh, is is driving. <laughs> so, so yeah i i kind of think that what we have is either i don't know you you, you can decide whether you prefer atlantis is has risen up again and they're sharing this art form with the world or archaeologists are uncovering atlantis finding this and then adapting this natural resource into basically a projector advi- a device that allows people without psychic abilities to experience like resonance with psychic wavelengths. Uh, so you can watch a dream theoretically. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Maybe that's the development of um, film in the United States has trans has transferred to dream uh, projection i like it i like it so that means that probably then uh this organization it is a state it is a state that is a thing to think about um this organization well i i guess uh the, i mean the question is like do do you like the idea of this actually being atlantis or do you want to move in another direction uh, with that because they still have this artistic bent like that is part of their DNA it's a question of how we get at that through statehood or whether or not we want to say hey we'll just throw out that role and do whatever we like what do y'all think I like the idea of Atlantis or even I, or at least something similar y- y'all can tell I've been on a Lovecraft thing but when you think <laughs> about Atlantis being at the bottom of an ocean or something like that. I think about the dreaming, the Cthulhu dreaming, you know what I mean? Like sending out that sort of technology, ancient, you know, beings. That's what, that's where my mind goes with it. So I kind of like that in that maybe there's this, this sort of like bottom of the sea organization that sends dreams and um, it could interplay and also be, you know, you have this group and they're doing it for a purpose, right? This sort of undersea, you you know, organization, state, whatever. But you also could have a state like the U.S. military who's trying to develop it into, like, we know they have this technology. We want this technology. We've gotten them to work with us. Or maybe we're just taking it. You know, I don't know. But I kind of what like it- that idea what if Atlantis is still hidden and those dream wave energies are just just reverberate across the globe like as a constancy and those people with psionic abilities tap into it unknowingly and like uh. people with high concentrations of that ability are, then become like the best artists in the world um, mm. and things like that because they are 
tapping into this power that they don't even understand. Oh. That that is very Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, we we could we could shift it two scotias uh, to the left and say that what if Atlantis does emerge? Like whatever you know, events of World War Two. Like there is a like undersea sapient civilization that emerges, and the only way they can communicate is through psychic resonance. Um, so initially, these devices show up just to facilitate diplomatic engagement uh, with this new nation. Uh, and that spreads out like, well, now that we have the devices, we can actually use them to do other things. Um, and this Atlantean civilization, like the thing that they could, you know, really care about the most is art. And like, that's kind of where the kernel starts, but we can splinter off in all sorts of directions from there, which I, I think that is very cool. Yeah, that's I cool like that too. a lot. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then uh, what group or rank within this faction is respected by nearly every other faction for their skill, power or danger? I mean, it has to be, like, some sort of group that uh, can, like, dream dancers or something like that. Somebody that can go into somebody's dream and interact with it and arrange Ooh, it somehow. Yeah, like dream shapers. Yeah. Yeah, like astral projection, but, like, step up. We should call them changelings. It could be, it could be a form of, like... Um, emotional therapy even these people who are able to shape dreams going in and be like working with hospitals and just helping people to like get through stuff through their dreams Mm. i really like that I, i i love that a lot um and it's still very much the sort of thing that the U.S. military would look at that and go, oh, look, we can use that to create the perfect soldier. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, but like I, I like the idea that, yeah, this this Atlantean civilization emerges and uh, like there starts to be more interface between their civilization and our civilization. And it turns out they have a really cool new therapeutic technique and a generation that is dealing with post-traumatic stress from a really awful war suddenly has a new way to treat people uh and of course there can be nefarious forces uh that don't think about this sort of thing properly which hey that's great there's a lot of cool potential there that's good um all right so then we will move on to the faction with a love for nature so once again i'll need a 2d6 rolled All right, four. Four. This is a school. Okay. And what's the other role? That would be a one. A one. Uh, a structure. Uh, this is a building, monument, or city built by people. Uh, great. So uh, 
The Love of Nature, a school with a love of nature. This faction is dedicated to acting as stewards uh, and servants of natural forces. They might choose to live in the wild or a hostile place and build culture around close relationships with animals or uh, other natural forces, uh, perhaps even enacting retribution when outside uh, factions harm the natural world. Um, before we get too deep in the weeds, figuring out what this faction, uh, what this school is like, uh, let's decide what they love most about nature. Uh, and the options are, it makes life possible. It provides law and stability. It represents uncontested power. It is a source of awe and wonder. It rewards dedication and care. I kind of like those last two. Yeah. It, it is a source of awe and wonder, and it rewards dedication and care. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Like a school all cool. about nature. Does that make, does that work? Yeah, yeah. that definitely works. I was thinking about some kind of like, like a, like a order, like a, like a, like a monks or something like that. Like that, like, that's it. It's like dedication. It's like your, your skills and your, your ability to, to, um, sort of cultivate life you know what i mean yeah yeah i was um i was thinking like a biology university um like set in a a national forest or something yeah so their their treasure is a structure and i i think deciding uh, a little bit more about that might help us get closer to to what this is Uh, the idea i i think being this facility, this building that has been built allows a type of natural study that has not been possible uh, until it was constructed. Maybe a water treat, like an, a fully green water treatment plant. What do you mean by that? Like no, like no uh, detrimental... Um, like harmful effects from it. They're, they've found a way to completely uh, operate without any kind of um, carbon footprint, something like that. That definitely feels like that could be along the lines of it rewards dedication and care. I'm trying to marry in awe and wonder. What if, what if we've got a facility that has like developed some sort of gravity manipulation technology um, and they are using that to control tidal forces, uh, either for hydroelectric energy or for, you know, like some kind of water treatment purpose. Like the idea is this really grand facility got built. It's kind of a one in a million shot. It's a sort of machine that nobody would, would sort of anticipate being able to work. And you have to do a lot of maintenance and a lot of, uh, uh, tracking of it. But the trade-off is, 
if you do it at the right scale, like you could solve energy crisis forever. Yeah, like you could build it on the coast and it would like manipulate gravity to simulate the moon, the like the way that mo- the moon affects tides. Yeah, and Ooh, yeah, and like that that like if you were able to like even just draw up a, a small mound of water or whatever and like release it uh over turbines or something, uh yeah. then you could have like theoretically infinite uh hydroelectric energy as long as you're not spending more power to generate the gravity well uh than it than you would get from the turbines. So Um, that's, yeah, that could be interesting. Uh, well, let's see. The question that we have is how do the people who love nature live in a way that other factions could not? Is there, is there some sort of adverse effect of living in this kind of gravity well like some sort of physical strain on their bodies it could be something like when astronauts come back from a space mission where their body can't handle the the gravity because of the effect of the uh the well on the on the area surrounding area right like it atrophies muscles and stuff yeah like gravity is less in that area yeah all was it belter style yeah yeah well maybe maybe it's the opposite right because they live in a way that other people could not uh that could mean that the gravity is higher yeah (laughs) that they they're all they're all built up because they have to live in an area that like has heavier gravity uh essentially these water workers jack as hell boy (laughs) (laughs) and they I mean, it's weird but to think about, but, like, with an increased gravitational force, you wouldn't grow as tall, you'd be stocky, so we're basically creating modern-day dwarves. Oh, yeah, fun hey. dwarves! <laughs> but, That's kind of cool. <laughs> so, is it, like, a sunken place? I think it'd be just on the coast of of, like, either east or west coast yeah actually deciding which coast and how far north or south this is will determine a lot about what this culture is ultimately like and this is a school which is which is another cool thing to think about is like they are this could be like the pet project of a university or something Yeah, I do like that. Which, which universe? You know, part of me feels like Pacific Northwest is is not a bad place for something like this. It does kind of feel like there's the Oregon vortex. You know, like there's so, uh, definitely yeah. So our several of our characters are from Oregon, actually. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense. The, uh, it could be something involved with like an annex of the uh, Oregon State University, um, which was founded in the 1800s, I think. So, 
Yeah. And we, we decided that instead of going with the trope of New York City being, you know, the superhero capital, that it would be, the team would be on the uh, Pacific Northwest. More more specifically, they have a secret underground bra- base under Crater Lake. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, that would be perfect. All right. Well, th- then, uh, yeah, I, I think what it is, is there was some sort of natural site that uh, the university has built a facility on top of that is allowing them to participate in this gravity manipulation. Um, at the scale it is right now, basically what they can do is probably provide power for the university, maybe even power for, for the city or state or, or what have you on top of that uh, through this hydroelectric stuff. But like they're really tapping the surface because this is the first opportunity really anyone would have uh to manipulate gravity in any way shape or form um so this is a tremendously cool like facility and opportunity um then the question is yeah what secret do they keep that eludes other factions oh that's a good question Is it, is it that they, like, this started with building a facility on top of a natural site, uh, but what if, like, through testing there, they kind of know how to do this, and there's a reason they haven't turned this around and sold it to private industry or the government itself. Um, that, that could be kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it could just be the technique that they're using, whatever means that they're creating this gravitational force. Yeah, yeah. What if it? What if it has to do with like a uh, antipodal point, which is they're doing something on this side of the globe and across the globe in that exact, you know, drawing a line from that to there. It's doing something over here. I like that. I That's like that interesting. A lot. Yeah, and so this, like, because of this university or the donor, you know, who is influencing this university or something, like, they have the concept of, like, well, you know, what we're doing here has this antipodal, like, uh, uh, result. So you need to be monitoring and careful about how you're manipulating this so that you don't like screw up the other side of the world and that just happens to be like an ethos that is very deeply embedded within this research program which is so far why it hasn't spread you know farther because like certainly you could set something like this up across america and then you know the perspective would be oh well you're just stirring up the ocean on the other side of the world it doesn't matter uh uh, when in fact it does matter uh especially (laughs) if you care about the effect uh larger effect on you know natural forces so that that is kind of neat yeah I have an idea for the placement of it. Um, so the oldest lighthouse in Oregon is the da, 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 Cape Blanco Lighthouse, built in 1870. 
that could be like the the housing point of this gravitational force that's cool and then all, all you need to do is uh figure i like out lighthouses with the antipodal yeah. uh uh like point on the other side of the world from that is uh exactly and and you'll you'll kind of have that i i think um the specifics of this probably depend on knowing a bit about uh the university of oregon and uh uh that maybe the history of that lighthouse, what have you. Uh, so mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. I'll leave y'all to fill in those details for later and we can sure. move on, uh, to the final, uh, faction, which is a faction with a love for order. Um, uh, faction, this faction is dedicated to upholding laws, respecting traditions. Uh, this might manifest as maintaining a justice system, leading a religion or managing hierarchies. Uh, they prioritize laws and systems in all matters and only tolerate change when it follows a predetermined course. Um, so once again, let's roll 2d6 and see what this is and what treasure they are protecting. I will roll Mar- one. I was just about to ask Marla, will you roll with me? Roll. I rolled a three. A three. A three? Uh, this would be a clan. A culture that blurs the lines between many structures, but especially family and state, creating affiliation by shared history and values. The bonds here are strongly tied to personal identity. And I rolled a one. A one? Uh, once again, that would be a structure, a building, or monument. Yeah. And then I rolled again because we already rolled a one, and I rolled a place. So what would we like to play with? Would we like to play with a structure or with a place? I'm cool with structure. Yeah. All right. Structures is always fun. Yeah. All right. Um... So, uh, before we uh, define anything else, let's choose two things uh, that this faction loves most about order. Uh, And the options are, it exalts and values what is sacred. It resolves disputes before they happen. It gives purpose to what is chaotic. It makes the world understandable and fair. It connects people to their past. I like connecting people to their past. Okay. Yeah. Um. Then I guess that the yeah the what what what's the other one? Because connecting people to their past and a structure could be really interesting. True. But I want to know. I want to know what the other axis is there. Um. Once again, exalts and values what is sacred. Resolves disputes before they happen gives purpose to what is chaotic and makes the world understandable and fair. I like gives purpose to what is chaotic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Folks, I I've got an interesting pitch for you. Okay. What if what if this is a 
like this is a clan so like a clan could also i think a secret society is is probably a good uh, read on what clan could mean as well because it is a group of you know powerful families that are probably giving out membership based on lineage but they have a shared ideology w- what if this organization has a time machine but it's not a time machine they can control it is essentially a time portal that is open to random eras in history. Um, and they could be a fascinating counterpoint to the keepers of Alexandria or the eyes of Alexandria. Like, what if this group is is trying to seize control of the world, ostensibly, um, and they are distributing agents throughout history to try and secure a better future for themselves. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. And what if this portal's only one way? Like they just drop off in the in the past and then yeah. just do whatever they can to further the family in the future. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool because like then that's, you That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and and they have no idea what era of history they're dropping people huh. off into. So like every time Ooh. something about the portal changes, they have to send someone through. That person has to somehow get a message to the group of where they ended up, and then they need to construct <sighs> a plan based on like historical facts of like okay this is how we're going to give advantage to our position now and you've got agents of the eyes of alexandria like literally out there like the the machine is like oh you have to get one of these idiots again like they've sent (laughs) someone back to screw literally everything up you have to go find them and take them out or stop them somehow that's really interesting i was just thinking about like you'd have to they'd have to be a master in their own ancestry like every agent you sent would have to know everything there is to know about their own ancestry and how like who their like ancestors were and how to set them up for success later on yeah definitely yeah yeah Yeah, you'd need an extremely robust family history so you don't accidentally screw something up like oh man this is a phenomenal idea (laughs) Mm -hmm. i feel like it could be interesting with sister solstice too oh yeah that seems right up your alley that's true and and this is uh this is a clan so this is multiple families as well which is really interesting like different groups have banded together to construct this thing wherever it is it is a portal to an uncontrollable like space and time within the past uh it's it's cool Mm -hmm. it's really Mm -hmm. cool So here's one more thing. So like I you know, when you take the like twenty-three and me and stuff like that, they tell you about your mitochondrial DNA, right? So you come all back from this one line. So technically through a mother's lineage you could track back Yeah. Your female ancestors 
or male ancestors, I think it works the same way with like the haplop groups or whatever. There's research to be done there. I'm not a geneticist, but um, it's interesting. Like they could be sent with testing kits and things like that. Very baseline things where they like have to get a tuft of hair or somehow get a cheek swab and then it would react with the right things. So they made sure they have the right person, the right ancestor yeah, to set up for success. And they could also be looking to see how well people could use the force. Oh, wait, is that something else? I think I got the wrong <laughs> vocabulary word. Um, so uh, the question then comes to what system do uh, does this organization hold above all others? System? Yeah, so this is like again, they they uh, this group is defined by a particular order. So I think they have this time machine, um, but it's also because they are serving some kind of law or ethos. Uh, uh, they are doing this. It, it's not just for capitalistic greed of own and control as much as possible. It's own and control as much as possible to serve this or when we go into it might even be as simple as when you go into the past these are the laws that you have to observe uh because everything depends on it okay so yeah what what system do they uh hold above all others they could have a code of of uh code of conduct as is for lack of a better word right now um for how they interact with the past. Um, like they have specific rituals that they have to follow or um, they're not allowed to be seen or something. I don't know. It's like the doctor's code of do no harm. Kind of something the like that. The time traveler's code. Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, though their aim is specifically to manipulate. So that's, that's uh, true. like... That, but 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 yeah so like they they have a, a code that they have to observe and follow and like a cool thing about this a neat hook is there could be agents from like our future being sent back to the now time uh and like who knows what's going on there what if like this clan's perspective has radically changed in like a hundred years and the current clan is doing everything they can to prevent the future clan from existing while also trying to manipulate the past to secure their own future it's a wild wild thing (laughs) the time war um yeah yeah, I'm I'm not even the, the second question is what hypocrisies do they tolerate if any? Like I think it probably all has to do with their code of conduct for for time travel and like the ironic thing is like well, yeah, but you're saying you can manipulate things to to serve your goals? Yeah. Uh yeah, I I I think that's neat. Um I feel like I feel like you have a good broad swath of, of different options uh for this alternate history now yeah i was gonna throw one more thing in with that one so go for it maybe the ethos that they live by is your life is not your own it belongs to the family so you live to serve the family you you know you may be born and grow up with the knowledge that you'll be sent back in time and everything you know you won't know anymore right 
Your life yeah. is to serve this purpose. You doesn't your life does not belong to you. It belongs to the family. And then that creates good interplays between like characters who like I don't believe in this mission, but I was born yeah. into it. Yeah. There's like a tough indoctrination that they have to go through and like like they're some from people birth from birth they're learning their genealogy they're learning light living habits from different eras because yeah. they have to know how to act when they go back to a random place yeah. in history mm. Ugh, so cool yeah Messing some people up though <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool that's cool all right, folks. Well, well, that that's that's it. Those are that that is five factions. I mean, there's technically more to this exercise, but I feel like that is more than enough uh, for 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 your purposes right here. Heck yeah, yeah. That is a that's a lot. My brain is racing with story possibilities. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. James, thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for writing this wonderful book. Uh, and second of all, thank you for uh, using this book on us <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to yeah, yeah. give us these great ideas. Well, I mean, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and if listeners, if you enjoyed this, uh, this book is available right now. You can head to bit.ly slash ultimate world building uh, to pick up a copy from an online vendor. Uh, it's also available in all major brick and mortar retailers and definitely in your in- favorite indie brick and mortar bookstores. Uh, be sure to call ahead in those cases uh, in case you need to special order it. But yeah, uh, you can pick it up right now. This is just a portion of one of the exercises in this book so there is plenty more out there to discover um and and yeah i i I appreciate you so much for letting me uh uh, influence your world even a small bit uh with this book yeah yeah uh well uh again thank you so much james uh james where could uh if people don't know who you are uh where could they find you yeah, you can if you enjoyed me here and you want to hear me play actual role playing games instead of just prepare to play role playing games. Uh, you can hear me do that over on the One Shot podcast or the Campaign Skyjacks podcast. On One Shot, we explore as many different role playing systems as possible in self contained one shot adventures. Uh, we've featured over a hundred different games, so if you're hankering to play something new, uh, I definitely recommend checking out one of our series uh, to discover a new role playing game uh and over on campaign skyjacks that is a long form uh campaign narrative uh it is the one we're doing right now skyjacks is set in an anti-colonial setting uh with sky pirates inspired by the music of the decemberists uh and you can find both of those on you know whatever podcast device you're using to get this just search for campaign skyjacks one shot or james damato it'll pull up uh, no matter what if you want to find me to just talk to me uh the best place is on twitter where i am at one shot rpg all right well thank you so much james uh does anyone else have have anything before i close this out uh awesome work everybody tells to the spire is going to be awesome uh and i guess we'll we'll wrap this up here keep it nerdy y'all nerd it up Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Tales to Inspire. Our next episode will be coming out next week on May 2nd. If you have social media, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Like and follow us at Misconceptions Pod for up-to-date information about the show, behind-the-scenes pictures, and just to show us your general positive feelings about the show. We also have a Discord. You can click the link below to join our Discord so that you can chat with other friends of the show and chat with other cast members directly. We also have an email. If you'd like to contact us that way, you can email us at misconceptionspod at gmail.com. This show is fully supported by the generous monthly donations of our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to join that elite group of supporters and gain access to exclusive content, please consider joining our Patreon. The Tells to Inspire theme song was composed by Esteban Del Pino. You can find out more about his music on fiverr.com slash I-A-M underscore W-A-K-E. Tales to Inspire is a product of the Misconceptions Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and buy cool merch at misconceptionspod.com. And that's it for this week's episode of Tales to Inspire. Thank you so much for listening, and keep it nerdy, y'all.